Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Gal Buckland as we look back on a basically disappointing night for Everton as they were beaten 4-1 by Newcastle United to Goodison Park. As well as looking at the events that unfolds at Goodison on Thursday night, we will also look ahead to Monday's game against Leicester City at the King Power. But for a night that started with so much hope, so much optimism and such a buzz around Goodison, it ended in bitter disappointments as the Blues were simply second best to Eddie Howe's side. I think the, the picture that told the story at the end was the lack of noise. I think Everton fans who were used to venting their anger and venting their fury when results haven't gone their way were stunned silence from what was left inside Goodison Park. And Joe, just to kick things off. Where on earth do I have to go from here? Yeah, I've absolutely no idea, to be honest. The, the prospect of, of what's to come is terrifying. I think that uh, you know, Everton did start that game reasonably well yesterday. But they were the better side for the first half an hour. And in fact, I was listening to someone behind me who I think must follow Newcastle. And they were saying, um, they were basically saying that if Newcastle are to do well in Europe next year, they're going to have to learn how to mm. manage you know, playing in hostile environments because the atmosphere was just so phenomenal last uh, last night. But once, but the reality is with this Evans side is that you know the the peak of what they can achieve is still relatively tame. It's the team, it's the league's lowest scoring side, and for all the brightness of that first half an hour, while they were good from box to box, they just didn't create anything. Mm. You know, didn't really have any chances, and uh, you know, as a result of that, obviously they, they don't get themselves in a you know in a, in a position where they can take the lead, and they're always vulnerable to. You know, a, a gut punch, and that's what it felt like when Callum Wilson scored. You know, it did kind of come out of the blue, but once it did, and it's probably where I take issue with Sean Dyche's post-match comments. You know, where he was saying that he actually thought Evans was a good performance for 70 minutes until the second mm-hmm. went in. Really, it was the 30 minutes until the goal, and once the goal goes in, you know, I mean, I, it was relatively predictable that Evans wouldn't be able to get back into that game because we've seen that time and, and time again. Um, but obviously, the story of narrowly losing to a side that is in good form and is chasing the Champions League is one thing, but to then collapse in the final 20 minutes as they did so chaotically and cataclysmically at this stage of the season, you know, we've seen this Everton side do it time and time again. They did it against Brighton. They did it against Fulham. Now they've done it against Newcastle. And to be honest, I think this is the most damaging one because to do this, to show that lack of fight, and lack of resilience at this stage in the season with everything that's on the line, you know, it really does make you kind of take a step back and look at 
the next five week, um, five games and go, well, all right, they might only be two points from safety. But can you really see them getting mm. that? Can you really see them fighting to get the points that needed to have stay up? And I think the problem with last night was on the back of that performance, it's difficult to see where the inspiration is going to come from. Because you were also alongside myself and John at the press box of Goodison. And I alluded to it before the game in that, if anything, last night Everton needed to give their fans hope yeah. that they can, you know, survive. They can. It's not so much a great escape, but mm. they can, you know, get enough points on the board between now and the end of May to, to get themselves yeah. safe. You know, we saw it last year with Frank Lampard. He was able to pick wins up against Chelsea, Manchester United, Newcastle, of course, yeah. on the way at Leicester. But as George just said, there, you know, when Everton needed to deliver most and and in what felt like a do or die game, even though it wasn't, yeah. they they offered anything but hope. Yeah, it's one win in ten now, isn't it? Um, that's that, that's the, the the issue that the bounce that Everton got under Sean Dyche has has now been um, slowly eroded. Um, yeah, I was uh, like yourself, Connor. I was in and amongst all the Evertonians before the game, and you know thousands lining the streets outside Goodison Park, um, top of Priory Road, going on to Goodison Road, and. Um, it's an amazing scenes before this, the coach had even arrived, and then when it when it did, you know that unbridled raw passion that we saw from the Evertonians. And then this is speaking of somebody who was there in '94 against Wimbledon. I was there against Coventry City '98. I'm not saying the atmosphere top then, but I've never seen anything quite like mm. the, when the two teams came onto the pitch. Obviously, the noise inside Goodison, but also the backdrop of the fireworks. But ultimately, I think Dyke said even before the game. Um, you know the, the players have got to do it. Um, firework never scored a goal for you. You know um, a, a banner never put the uh, you know put a cross in for you. Um, and it was just that message, wasn't it? He actually said in one of the banners on the Gladys Street, "Fight for us, just fight for us." And that's that's not what we we've, we've seen f- from the team. There wasn't that encouragement that you, you're feeling that they're on the the verge of some sort of comeback here or they're about to turn. I mean, the Cavalry's returning now. Calvert-Lewin's back, played the last couple of games and I was back from injury. Decore back. Hopefully Seamus Coleman can come back. He was another big miss, obviously. We talked about that last night. But there just wasn't anything to hang on to. And this was the feeling that I think after Fulham was one where we, we hoped to have them get the points there. This was different. This was against a team who were you know, really pushing for the Champions League. But there was still a feeling that Everton could go and get the result. And then the fact that they didn't, and as Joe says, was beaten so emphatically in the end and um, just so shambolically. Um, um, I think that so much of, of the hope of the, the supporters who were already browbeaten after all that they went through last season was was a lot of that was sucked out of them last night. Gav, you know, Bees touched on it there in terms of support and the scenes and what we witnessed. And, you know, we all saw basically, you know, what happened last season. We created again last night before the game. But for me, a full time, obviously, you know, like I alluded to at just the start, you know, there was a bit of a an eerie silence around, a silence around Goodison Park, you know, one or two mutterings between people, between themselves. And it almost felt to me like supporters almost left Goodison Park last night with nothing left to give. They gave their all last night in the hope that it would be enough to inspire the side to give them hope to go again. But in the end, they end up now almost looking at it thinking, well, I've got nothing left to give. Well, or, 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 or I think that's one aspect to it. The other aspect to it is actually if you give a load of stick and encouragement, it's not working anyway, so why bother? And well, that's what I got. At, that's what I got at the end last night. Is I think, in some respects, seeing players come off and getting, and you've seen a lot of times, especially over the last couple of years, a load of abuse off the fans and you know, effing and jeffing and all this, and saying, saying uh, use of fingers and stuff. But last night, 
I think the worst sort of atmosphere you can have at the end of a game is just total silence and ambivalence where people are just like they were by us, just looking into space as if they'd seen a ghost. And when a club is in that position, that's when you know it's dangerous. That is the stage beyond getting abuse at the end, isn't it? That's beyond getting booed off and abused at the end of the game. The stage beyond that is ambivalence. And actually, we don't really, I wouldn't say don't care, of course, to do, is it's pointless us doing, showing any sort of emotion here. So I can't, we can't believe what's going on. We've got nothing. Don't want to say anything. And that's, that's, that's the next state step stage and that's the real worrying one for me last night was as you say that ambivalence that silence that we don't really want to show anything here and the fact that it was a third the ground was a third full just amplified that didn't it <clears throat> it's always worrying isn't it when it happened to me was when I got the car home last night normally you get in Queen's Drive it's shocker and last night you could just drive down Queen's Drive is everybody gone home early and as I say, it's, it, it's that atmosphere was really worrying at the end. I said that to somebody in the press box after the game. This is this the worrying, this the worrying thing for me. We appear to have lost Gav there. Joe, I'll come to you. Be alluded to the team selection before in terms of what we saw. And obviously, Tommy Calvert Loon led the line again. And Orana was back. I was like, Corey returned from suspension. That was a pretty much near full strength Everton side last night, wasn't it? You know, there wasn't even. Uh, the arguments or the the the, the, you know, the debate to have about well, you know they were missing this player that player that was Everton okay maybe mine is Seamus Coleman at its full strength best yeah I mean it was Deitch's plan A with the exception of Seamus Coleman mm. wasn't it it's the side that you know when he came in he he played that side that formation brought back after later Corey in particular you know, for you know, the game against Arsenal obviously Michael Keane and Connor Cody being the the other difference but. At the heart of the resurgence that Everton initially had under Sean Dyche, that was essentially the team that was responsible for it. Um, and, you know, like we've already covered, I thought they started the game reasonably well. But the reality is it's just, you know, just in terms of ability, there's a lack of resilience in terms of ability in that squad. Obviously, it's lack of creativity in goals. We know that anyway. But obviously, when he turns to the bench, there isn't really anybody that you can do so. Mm. How many times have Everton been in a game on 60, 65 minutes? And whether it be Frank Lampard or Sean Dyche, we've seen other teams calling the cavalry and they bring yeah. on two free changes. And you look at Everton and, and they don't. Now, I mean, I think Frank Lampard was probably too reactive. I think, you know, he had more opportunities. He could have made more substitutes than he did, mm. but I think he didn't like, to, uh, he wasn't very proactive in terms of changing the game. I think Sean Dyche says it's a deliberate ploy from him. He doesn't like to change the game unless he thinks it's necessary. But I think, let's be perfectly honest, if they had three more players on that, on that bench that you, know, you felt could change the game or make a genuine difference, I think both managers probably would have used it. They mm-hmm. wouldn't be in the mess that they're necessarily in. But it's not just that lack of resilience in terms of the quality that's available to the managers. It's also the psychological resilience that's clearly lacking. Because... You know, Deitch has made the side more aggressive. He has made them more competitive for the most part, but he can only take them so far. And when push comes to shove, what we've seen once again is that this is a side that is very, very fragile, mm. particularly when you take Shane's Cotton out of the mix. And, you know, there's another story about the failures that have led to a 34 year old right back being so crucial to 
to, to to Everton on the pitch, but you know his the loss of his the absence of his leadership on the pitch has also been poignant because when the collapse against Brighton, Coleman wasn't playing. When the collapse against Fulham, Coleman wasn't playing. The collapse again yesterday, and Coleman's not playing. And you know you, you look at that, and really it's it just it just shows just how vulnerable this side is, mm. and that it looks like Coleman will probably be back for Leicester, but you know whilst he will no doubt improve things. You know the the bar, the threshold for improvement is pretty low, and and, and I don't know how. I, I don't know what the peak of Everton's powers are this season. Whether it's good enough to take them into, you know, above the dotted line, as it were. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just just staying with usual in terms of the right back situation because. Coming home from the game last night and, and looking on social media, there's obviously a lot of debate, you know, a lot of opinions being expressed. But one of the most poignant ones for me was the debate around right back. And obviously, mm. obviously Ben Godfrey had a, I think we can all say another torrid night yeah. uh, right back. Obviously, he was put back in in the absence of Mason Holbeck, who being sent off the week before at Palace mm. after suffering a torrid, a torrid afternoon, so sending off. Godfrey obviously played a full back the week before at Man United to that, and as a torrid afternoon. All this is occurring while Nathan Patterson sat on the bench. Yeah, someone who is a right back and just isn't getting a look in. I mean, I know we always don't like question Sean Dyke. He's only been in a short space of time, but it's a baffling call, Joe. Isn't yeah, it? I find it's, it absolutely baffling. You know, I think that you, you know, I think it's something. Yeah, Sean Dyke has inherited a squad that is is that is challenged. Mm. Yeah, he. It would the quite say the question when he took over was twofold: one, could he get any improvement? Two, if he can, is it enough to? keep Evan safe mm-hmm. um, and you know we don't want to be overly critical of him because of the squad that he's inherited but you know I, I think there are a few decisions that are a little bit confusing and, and they are a detrimental impact on performances mm-hmm. now when Everton went to 4-4-2 against Manchester United okay he's hand sports by the Corey's mm-hmm. suspension um, but Godfrey got torn to shreds at left back and Godfrey's not a full back I know he's played full back at times but really he's a centre back yeah, we Evan shouldn't be relying on him out there, but yeah, there's a warning shot there. You get to the Fulham game, he, he's moved to right back. Well, you know, William mm-hmm. again, unfortunately, exposes um, Ben Godfrey and Evan lose that game. So, yeah, then you go, well, change has probably got to come now because you know it's not working with Godfrey at fullback on either side. That change does come at Palace, but it's Mason Holgate, it's another mm-hmm. centre back. Playing at full back and okay, you know, it wasn't a fatal mistake. Crystal Palace didn't score, but Jornay tormented Mason Holgate to the point where he had an early bath. Mm. So, you know, it was a clear tactic of Crystal Palace at Southhurst Park to go for Evans right back. And Newcastle did exactly the same yesterday. It was Ben Godfrey again. And you look at three of the four goals come from that side. And I just don't know what I can, and I've asked Sean Dyche about this a couple of times. I asked him about it after Palace, and he said he wanted Holgate on the right because of his delivery from deep. Yeah, presumably the idea that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was back was back in, um, and so he had someone to aim at. But really, by the point of choosing a team for last night, whatever his reservations are about Nathan Patterson, because it's clear that he must have some. I just couldn't see a bank of evidence to suggest that this wasn't the time to try. Mm-hmm. There, there was nothing. Positive to take from Godfrey Holgate, God, you know, uh, 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 the experiments, uh, 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 from the experiments. 
And I mean, he talks about Nathan Patterson as a young lad who's still learning. Of course, he is. But you've got to remember, this is a player that, you know, albeit with the bad luck he's had with injury, he started the season as Everton's first choice right wing back. And then when Lampard converted to a 4-4-2, he was the first choice right back. And he did have some good games playing mm-hmm. that. We know that he is still learning the game. We know that he might be a bit positionally naive at times and, and things like that. But, you know, he is someone that can do a job and get better. And at least he has a history of having grown up playing with that being his position. Mm. You know, I, I just can't for the life of me understand why Dyche hasn't turned to him. He's obviously, you know, looking back on, on the goals, I can see that they were all pretty shambolic from a defensive point of view but the one obviously that sticks out and, and I think if ever, anyone needs sure. any clear evidence and proof as to why Everton find themselves in the position they do obviously struggles in front of goal but that fourth goal when Isaac, Isaac, Isaac basically just goes past all four or five of them at one point runs in a straight line past three of them and, and crosses the ball for Murphy to, to tap home and you know, so simple, but yet so so damaging. Yeah. Well, one for it for the all-time Everton stats, Gav. I mean, um, obviously we had Dwight York. Sorry, Dwight's done that earlier this season. <laughs> Show my age. Dwight McNeil scoring directly from a a, um, a corner uh, later on. But the uh, the way um, Isaac dribbled in along the touchline, I mean, it was almost shades of these tales you heard about Sammy Chedzoy and. Um, the infamous dribbling in from from a corner kick. I mean, it was that ridiculous that the, the way he yeah. just went past everyone to, to set up um, that goal. Yeah, they were all over the place, weren't they? I think even Pickford tried to um, get at him. But yeah, nah, it, it, it was, um, like you say, sham, shambolic and, and damning. It's come down Godfrey's um, flank again. I mean, it's, it's tough, really, because as, as Joe says, we brought to the club as a centre-back. And he very much would always say, you know, centre-back is my position. But most of his playing time has actually been at, at, at full-back. Because, again, with this... the, the Bizarre imbalance within the Everton mm. squad. There's like a surfeit of centre backs, whereas other areas where they're short. And to be fair, even though he's wholly right footed, until Manchester United, he'd actually looked, in my opinion, more comfortable on the left. So stick him over at right back. It's, it's just been, it's been disastrous. And can only echo what what Joe said. I just kind of, I mean, like everyone, we don't see what Sean Dyke sees on the on the training ground every day. But we saw what Nathan Patterson was doing when he was in the side, his mm. first choice right back at the start of the season. And I know he's only a young lad, but he's a full Scotland international. So it's not like he's some rookie who's been plucked from the reserves. You know, this is, this is a full international king for the club for big money. I think what, what makes, just just on this as well, what, what makes it the, the call a little bit more baffling for me is the way we've seen Sean Dyche. Okay, perhaps his hand has been forced a little bit, but he's been so willing to put Ellis Sims in at the deep end. You, know, you think of Old Trafford, Anfield. He's been so willing to just throw him in and, and, and almost kind of and if anything, you know, there's a lad who really is a rookie. You know, yeah, at this that, level, yeah. At this level, very, you know, played, what was it, 50 odd minutes of Premier League yeah. football before he come back up from his loan spell. You know, kind of very much someone who's young up and coming. Yeah. But he's been thrown into deep end on numerous occasions and I had no issue with that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, someone here who's, like you say, there, full Scotland international, play for Rangers, play for Everton, yeah. can't, can't get a look in. And for me, that's what makes the call that little bit more baffling. And, and Gav, I'll come to you because I think this raises the question, and you know, obviously last night, I think there's a lot of questions in terms of who is to blame for this current mesh on the board, the imbalanced squad and stuff. But do you almost think now, you know, one win one in ten, questions have got to be asked to Sean Dyche and, and he's not immune from criticism from all this? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, Baffin decisions that 
Um, started really when he played 4-4-2 at mm. Manchester United. And you think, why has he done that? And then, then repeating that, that against Fulham, not playing Yeri Mina, not playing... I mean, Godfrey, I, I'd i say Godfrey's been mismanaged by him, to be honest with you. If you Godfrey, you think he'd have played left-back, then he played right-back being substituted, then dropped, and then brought back at right-back. And I, I said the other week that Brian Clough used to say the, the biggest sin in football is giving somebody a role that they haven't got the tools to, to do the job properly. And Godfrey's like that, a full-back, and I'd make that even worse him by saying playing somebody there who hasn't got the tools to do the job and is woefully out of form and lacking confidence. So, Godfrey, yes, definitely, that's a major you know, major mistake. I think his use of substitutions, I didn't really understand the timing of the Sims one last night. And, yeah, just, just generally, we overarching is, is our defensive setup has just been poor. The one thing you would expect it off a dice team will be, you know, defensive cohesion. You know, you're not expecting to see a load of go- score, a load of goals at the other end. But he, you know, he's preaching all these tactical talks. He's he's spoken about when he's been interviewed. He's had that defending the vein, and you know what his Burnley team were like. And I think that apart from individual errors and, and tactical mistakes on occasions, it's the lack of defensive cohesion and discipline. And, and individual mistakes, which are just continuing and continued last night. And if you continue and if you carry on doing that, then you, you're really going to struggle to stay in the division. So in terms of dice, yes, definitely. Individual stuff, but the defence has been largely woeful, hasn't it? Certainly over the last five or six games. There's an incessant staff just pulled out there about like morale and stuff. I think the 20, 20 home, 20 goals we conceded at home since the end of October. 16 of them have been in the second half. And that, that shows to me a lack of lack of fight and occasionally you, your team will fall apart. And we've seen that in two or three home games this season. And that's also a worry. And that's down to, I think, also in some, some respects, the manager who has to you know, he has to sort of manage the players better in terms of their morale and, and team spirit is to pull them together. Because you don't see the team pulling together like they were this time last season. Joe, are you surprised? Obviously, you're the, the only person sat here, but probably one of the, a, a handful of people who've seen Everton every time under Sean Dyson's appointments. Are you surprised at how much of a lack of kind of plan and identity his team have got and have come to have at this point of the season because, you know, we were all kind of led to believe, like Gav says, that he would come in and, you know, okay, Everton might have problems going forward and, and, and scoring goals and stuff, but they would be hard to beat. They would, you know, they'd be fighting for each other. They'd be, you know, real kind of going back to the old 95, dogs of war tag, mm-hmm. you know. But we don't see, we haven't seen any of that have we, in recent weeks. You know, if anything, you, you're kind of seeing a team that doesn't really look like what's doing. There's no cohesion. And it doesn't really look to be a sort of a set plan of how they're actually approaching games. I don't. I think context is is important, and I think that you have to give credit to Deitch for what he did when he came into the side, when he came into Everton. Those first ten games, where throughout them, Everton had a better form than anybody else that was in the relegation mm-hmm. battle. 
Yeah, the problem wasn't that Everton weren't picking up points. The problem was that the situation he inherited was so that dire that even with that run of form with the wins against Arsenal, Leeds and Brentford and the draws, it wasn't enough to pull them clear of the trap. It was only enough to keep them treading water. I think you have to kind of acknowledge that he he probably had it right. He had the best of what he could do until his hand was forced by Abdullah Decore being mm-hmm. being sent off. And if you look at a sliding doors moment, 60 minutes into that game against Spurs, just after the international break, Everton were on top. They looked the better side. You know, it, it, you felt that Everton might go on to win that game. If they had done, obviously, you, know, you can just think, just, just imagine if they had the extra two points, you know, if Decore hadn't been suspended. They were unlikely to get something in Manchester United. We've, Discussed this previously, you know, they they just have a, an incredible ability to go and capitulate at Old Trafford, regardless mm-hmm. of where they where, where they are in in their own kind of progress. But then the loss of of Decore for for Fulham and then Palace, and and also you throw into that the loss of Amadou Anana for those games, loss of Seamus Coleman for those games. It really does just expose just how limited the side is, and. Yeah, bearing in mind he didn't have Dominic Calvert Lewin for that first part. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of there's a plan A and it's got Dominic Calvert Lewin in. There's a kind of a plan A one, which is accept that Dominic Calvert Lewin probably isn't going to be available for a lot of the season, do the best, and that's what he did with when he brought the Corey in. There just isn't the options for mm-hmm. another one. So I think you have to kind of have recognition for the fact that his hand was forced. You know, the imbalance didn't come from something that Sean Dyche did. It came from something that happened to his side mm-hmm. and his options. The problem is, one, because of the lack of depth that Everton have got, he wasn't able to address the problems that were then caused by Decore's, in particular, suspension. Um, and since then, you know, Everton have kind of fallen apart. They've lacked the clarity of thinking that, was so crucial to those first 10 games. And really, it almost has become a case of him putting a side out that he hopes can do a job rather than expects to do a job. It hasn't worked and he hasn't been able to recover it. And he just hasn't he just hasn't been able to kind of pick up the pieces from that. Um, you know, as I say, I think there have been some questionable decisions in the defence. I also, you know, it's hard, increasingly hard to see how Yerimina hasn't been given a mm. chance. Like, I think I understand that that's a very nuanced situation. Injuries, time he's got the club and things like that. You know. But that's been all, all, all the problem. So, you know, there's probably, unless you're working on the basis that a team isn't going to get injuries and suspensions, sadly, there's probably an, an inevitability about the way that Sean Dyche's tenure is unfolding. And in the same way that there's inevitability about, you know, Gav's just used the stat about 16 out of 20 goals conceded um, since October have been in the second half. Well, again, going back to the same issues in terms of lack of squad depth, one, obviously, that's a psychological question, but two, let's just be honest, already referred to on this, other teams just have far more options when it comes to 60, mm. 65, 70 minutes. You know, Everton are a squad that are running on fumes by that point and they're looking to a bench and there isn't really that much that can make a difference. Whereas you look at what Wolves did, you look at even what Southampton did, you look at what Forest did at, at, at the city ground, you look at what Man United could do, 
you look at even what Fulham could do, all these, you know, you look at what Newcastle could do last uh, night, as, as bringing on, on yeah, not just on bringing on Anthony Isaac, but bringing on one of Evans' top goal scorers. Well, they're, they're, you know, they're top goal scorers this season. You know, for, 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 for the club. And when you get to those last 15, 20 minutes, it's just, there. it's a different game. Mm-hmm. You know, they're playing a different game, and but they're playing it with their old tactics and their old side. They just can't change things. So, unfortunately, I don't think I am that surprised by the way this is unfolding, by the way it's kind of fallen apart. You know, I, where I am surprised is just the, the lack of fight and passion and, and resilience. And that doesn't even necessarily mm. come from me being surprised that Sean Dyche's side is, is, is failing to show that. It's me, just those players as people. In general. I think, really, when you see what those fans did last night, the atmosphere was sensational. Riled anything... From, from last season, it really was incredible. There's someone, you know, there was a reporter behind us that, that you know, has gone to European fixtures for the you know, last decade or not, and they said Goodison, when it's like that, is the only stadium in Europe that comes close to, to Napoli. And he's saying that with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got thousands of people there that have taken, probably left work early, dropped off kids early, maybe taken time off work to get there, to dig into their reserves to show that. But then when things go wrong, as they did in that second half, you have a, a group of players that just doesn't seem capable of being able to dig into its own reserves and fight. Fight, you know, just look at that Isaac run. He starts on the halfway line. Yeah. Goes past four. I think he goes past three Evan players because he goes past Godfrey on the halfway line and then on the touchline because Godfrey gets back. You know, they no all pass through them in a straight line, doesn't No one's even, <laughs> no one's even aware enough or passionate enough to just take him out. Yeah, I'm saying that's a good thing to do. But we saw how Newcastle mastered the dark arts last night. Saw how much, t- how easy they went down, how much time they spent down, how it allowed them to regroup and rethink and plan and reconvene when they were under the cosh. Everyone just don't even have that. You know, whether it be an emotional intelligence or whether it just be a passion. To not have the taken out of them, they can't even they can't even kick yeah. someone to end it. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Is that is that the most worrying part of all this stuff? Is because ever, I think Evertonians, you know, but being brutally honest, they can take not having good footballers playing for mm-hmm. them. You know, we've had some exceptional good players play for this football club in the past, and we hope that some exceptional good players will play for them in the future. Yeah. But there's also some players who perhaps weren't exceptional good at football, but are still remembered, worshipped yeah. and liked, because if there was a brick wall in front of them, they would run through it. Yeah. Is this what makes it so much more hard to take is the fact that, like Joe said there, this is never team that's just got no fight, no desire and no passion? Yeah, there's... It's a combination. There is a, a lack of ability, which we spoke about in terms of the lack of options there off the bench. And it was something, uh, certainly last season, there's a bit of a difference of opinion between uh, Gav and myself. I thought Everton were underachieving more and Gav was saying, no, this is just how bad they are. Uh, they sold, <laughs> the assets have been stripped more since then, obviously with Richardson, Anthony yeah. Gordon's gone. It seems like a kind of a managed decline. So there's part of that is just genuine lack of ability. I mean, I mentioned actually um, last night, I, was, I think initially yeah, I put that six of the start and 11 have been relegated previously. It's actually seven. I missed, I missed one out. Seven out of that start and 11 have gone down. That doesn't per se make you a, a bad player. Obviously, one of those is England number one, Jordan Pickford. But yeah, um, 
In terms of the, the, the character or lack of it, I think Gav's stat about the goals in the second half maybe points to that again, as we, as we mentioned. Everton's woeful away form, the fact that they've yeah. won three, just three away games in the last two Premier League seasons since the crowds came back, which is half less than half as many as the, all the teams who've been in the division both those seasons. So that's pretty damning as well. Yeah, um, in terms of the the character, it's been one I've been saying for a while because I remember saying this when Marco Silva was manager and around the times when they were struggling and got beaten in the FA Cup by Millwall. He infamously never came, his Everton size infamously never came from behind to win a Premier mm. League game. But that was um, that was like four years ago now. There's quite been a big overhaul in terms of personnel. So you've got to look deeper than the individuals. Obviously, you've got people like Seamus Coleman, who obviously was missing last night again, who Frank Lampard described as the best man I've ever met. And this is a serial winner from his playing year, years at Chelsea, if not as a manager, if we've seen uh, back now. But yeah, for him to say that. So, but it's kind of a piece we've got coming up later. Just where are the, where are the next generation of Seamus Coleman's? I mean, you could even look at people like James Tarkovsky, he's no sh- shrinking violet. Even people like Amadou Anano, a young man, but supremely confident and sort of, you'd think there's got leadership qualities in that. But there's something in- intrinsically wrong in, in this squad. And it-, it goes back a long time. Even Dominic Carver, learned before the injuries, I've not spoken to him recently. He was such a bubbly character, so confident and so assured of himself before all those injuries. I don't know if they sort of had stuff and knocked out of him to a certain extent. But when you meet these people on a one-to-one basis, they do actually seem like strong characters, but then somehow, collectively, as a group, there's we've got to be serious concerns over, over the mentality. And if I think if people within the club can't put their finger on it, we're, we're going to struggle. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we can go off on a tangent and talk about those um, pictures are up on the wall at Finch Farm celebrating last season staying up. And I'm not one of those going to beat Evertonians with a stick about celebrating. That was, again, pure relief and the adulation of staying up you can't have a knock those fans on the night but taking a big photograph and putting it on the wall at Finch Farm that's something else it doesn't sit easy with me but yeah if it was that simple we we could do something about it but yeah there's got to be concerns over the mentality and just how resolute this group is I think as well when you talk there about characters obviously yeah. last season uh, you spoke to one of the Gordon John yeah. and he basically turned around and he said we're not going down like, we yeah. won't get relegated and, and now you think well you do very really hear that message from anyone or ever? It's you know we need to pick ourselves up and go again. Yeah. But Gavin, obviously, in terms of, you know you've watched Everton a long time. You know you've seen a lot of Everton teams over the years. Is this the worst one you've seen for a lack of passion, a lack of fight, and a lack of desire? How long have you got? Um, <laughs> possibly. I, I always think the ninety seven, ninety eight team is a real. Poor year, wasn't it? We were very, very lucky to stay up. 93-94, we had some good individual players. I think they were just badly managed by Mike Walker, weren't they? It's, I mean, possibly. Possibly. Um, some some teams in last years of Gordon Lee's era and possibly in the mid-70s, but I, I've not really seen a collection of players with that where we just collapsed quite quickly and, you know, there's no going back is what we've seen this season and I include Lampard's time under that. And I think Joe's points are well made that some of it is down to the size of the squad. But, yeah, it'd be, it'd be up there. But we have got some we have got some talented players, but, yeah, I just think there is something missing there, isn't there? 
think there's collective leadership. We spoke about this the other week. If Ananda and Coleman are not on the pitch, then where are the leaders? And we're missing Coleman badly, I think, as well. So, yeah, up there with, with, you know, some of the performances over the last three or four months under the the, the the dog days of Lampard at the end of I've been up there in terms of teams not showing character and, and collective efforts and having the will to win they, they'd be right up there I think Gents we obviously know cute the fact that a lot about Newcastle hmm. the beauty about football is you always get another sure. game to put it right and if it was next game comes no sooner than Monday night when they make the trip to Leicester to take on Dean Smith's side at the King Power Joe, how on earth do Everton lift themselves to go again on Thursday, on Monday night? I know we always, well, I've always say this, but it's a huge must win. <laughs> all the cliches that we talk about on this podcast for the last six weeks are all rolled into one because this is just one game that Everton cannot afford to lose. No, they can't afford to lose. I think if they lose this and if they lead to Forest were to get a win, then, even a draw, then, then you know, it's tight. Then, but if, yeah, I mean, if, if, if Everton were to lose to Leicester and one of Leeds or Forest were to win, then all of a sudden a real gap then opens up. At the minute, I think that for all the resignation that there is amongst us and amongst other people, I almost feel like the, the mood is worse than what the table suggests. Mm-hmm. Like with five games to go, it is still, you know, only two points from safety. It's, it's more kind of what that performance suggests yeah. and what the momentum that they're on and things like that. You know, they do struggle for positives and. As a however, they're going to be saved from trouble. You've just got to hope that there's going to be a reaction. You know, Leicester are a side with talented individuals and a side that have caused Everton problems over the past few years. You know, Brendan Rogers got to sit in the, the press room at, at Goodison Park after the bonfire night win and just basically hold court for, for half an hour and tell everybody why James Madison should be going to the World Cup. and yeah, be made to look like a tactical genius after the way that Leicester um, outplayed Everton in that game. Um, but they, they went there last season. They got a massive win, albeit in different circumstances for, for Leicester. Um, they've just, you know, Dykes probably will have his plan, his genuine plan A, because it sounds like James Coleman will probably be back. Amadou Inanna, Decore, Calvaloon will have an extra 90 minutes in there or you know, an extra game in their legs. So that helps, but with City to then come and, and Brighton after that, you know, it feels like this has got to be a game at the very least ever need a performance from. They, they can't lose, they need to get a performance from it. There needs to be some sign of, of hope that they can get through this. I, you know, I think Bournemouth's win last night means the daylight walls are pretty much safe. Mm. So those last two games of the season are going to be against teams with no one to play for. And that didn't help Evan against Fulham or Palace, really, but you, you, it's all about Everton against those last two games with it's in their hands if possible. Yeah, they can get to a point where two, three, four points in those last two keeps them up, then I think you know, they would be pretty hopeful that they could do that. But they've got to stay in touch first. And with City at home and Brighton away, I think stayed in touch with the teams just above the dotted line. It can only be done with yeah, at the very least a point, preferably three against Leicester. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
but you almost think that's what Everton are now playing for. And I don't mean this in a in a mad sense, but playing to try and take us that last game of the season where a winner home to Bournemouth keeps them up. You know, not so much now, given the way the last few weeks have gone survival yeah. before then, just trying to keep it alive for as long as they can. And, and I mean that, you know, that good that last day, Goodison, they just need to win to get themselves off the line and kind of they crawl over it almost. Yeah, well, to be honest, I, I never sort of got ahead of myself. I always thought that was a, di- a distinct possibility. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to people outsiders and they were kind of thinking, oh, Everton was going to be all right for Everton. They'd be like, mm-hmm. well safe. Uh, it's been a bit of a, a roller co- coaster, hasn't it? I mean, I felt when Frank Lampard was manager, I think Everton were, like a lot of people, I felt, well, Everton would go down if Lampard remained in charge. So when Dyche came in, was hopeful that he, he could do enough and he hopefully he'd be the manager regardless if he ended up in the Premier League or the Championship to, to see Everton through next season obviously the, the early signs were very positive three wins from his first seven was it after Lampard had won three of his 20 this season but like we said it's been it's been one in ten so yeah they, they need a twofold isn't it they need, they need a result to keep that well, I was going to say keep the heads above water the heads below water at the moment to to try and um see it's a classic six points against a direct relegation rival but then it's almost like you say just so, to have that momentum to keep the belief going that that that, that they're not a cut adrift come come those last cut, um, couple of games of the season. So yeah, we keep saying it's massive, and that's the thing. If you, if you keep not winning, the stakes just get higher and higher, and that that's that's what it's, it, it's come to here. I mean, personally, I was thinking Everton needed to take four points at least from these these two fixtures, and they can only take three at, be- at best now. You just but it's it's a must not lose. I think I wouldn't say this one's a must win, but it's certainly a must not lose if if, if Evertonians going to retain any sort of hope going into the last month of the season. You at bees there, Gav? Do you think it's a case of must not lose rather than must win? Yeah, stay in the game. Yeah, I, I think I said the other week, didn't I? We say Connor been watching Everton play for more than fifty years, and the one fixture I think that. I mean, which will happen on Monday that I've never seen before is what you would call a relegation six pointer or a, a relegation four pointer in in old money. So as as a club, this is new territory for us, really. You might have to go back to don't know what the fixtures were at the end of the fifty one season when we went down. But I don't recall us ever playing a, a candidate who was equally likely to go down as us at the end of the season. And so it's a, it's a new one on me, but yeah, it's a point I'd snap your hand off. And I'd, I'd spoken to a lot of people over the last twenty four hours who've all said that if you if you gave us now, we've got to be Bournemouth on the final day to stay up. If you give us that now, they'd all take it, and, and, and I'd take that. And I think that's what we should be aiming for: is at least take it to the we can do to the last couple of games. But it's going to be difficult. I mean, Forest have got Brentford away in Southampton at home their next two games, haven't they? Mm. And they'll be looking at thinking we could get four points from these two games. And if they get four points, they might be thinking that might be enough, you know. So it's it's a it's a, it's a difficult one to to call the Leicester game in terms of what the defeat would look like. But a, a point, I'd. I'd your hand off at a point. Do you think they almost need to channel that spirit of what we saw last year when obviously Everton went to Leicester and it was, you know, real bask against the wall, wasn't it? Second half and 
Pickford pulled us out of jail with a couple of good saves, but that kind of fighting spirit because we haven't seen that and they need to produce something like that. Now, don't they? Now it's now or never. Essentially, this game is now or never. Yeah, I think I think I think you have a look last season, the sixth and fifth games from the end of the season was Chelsea at home and Leicester away. Mm. And you, you see the fight and desire that we had in them two matches compared to, to what was lacking last night. And and the difference from last year about going to Leicester is I don't think there was much on it for them, was there really? No. Um, and it's everything for them. I mean, I don't know if you saw the end of the last 15 minutes of the Leeds Leicester game on. Great for was it Great Tuesday for night. It was yeah. absolutely chaotic, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think you may get 90 minutes of that on, on, on Monday, to be fair. And I just think them having home advantage may be, you know, maybe an extra advantage for them, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it's different to last year, as we discussed in the pod. I don't think we've got a stronger squad or one that's patently showing less desire and fight. And uh, Leicester have got something on it as well. And they've they've taken what they've taken four points in a week. Yes, they obviously beat Wolves last yeah. season. I think Dean Smith, is, Dean Smith is a good appointment. So different scenario last year. And on that basis, take points all day long. Okay, well, gents, we'll finish off with some predictions. Yeah. Joe, come to you first. One one. One one. Bees. <laughs> I'm thinking we all said one nil out of uh, Newcastle because one one was what I was going to go for. One one. Gav. I'm going to go for an absolutely. Hugely entertaining, but goalless draw. <laughs> I'm going to go for one nil Everton. Uh, oh. just just Ooh. because after this rather doom and gloom podcast, I think we need to finish with some <laughs> optimism and a bit of belief going into Monday night. But no, I think as I would take, you know, obviously, obviously we can't all take one nil, but I think one nil Everton. But I would take nil nil or one one <laughs> and a half beat now. But, gents, I think we will leave it there. I think we've chewed the fat enough overall things Everton and what we've seen over the last few days. We will, of course, be back on Tuesday next week to look back on Leicester City, the game against Leicester City, and, of course, look ahead to what is to come for Everton as they head to Brighton the following Monday. But for now, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.